Hey there, listeners. Richard Chinqui here. Just a reminder, of course, that Three Song Stories is now a radio show as well as a podcast. And Doug's episode that you're about to hear already came out last week on the air. So if you go over to WGCU.org and listen to that version of the show, you get to hear the long version of the music. Hooray! You can go to WGCU.org and find our show under Listen. Or if you're in Southwest Florida, you can always listen when the shows air Saturdays at 10 a.m. All right, here's the show. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. This is the show that extracts biography from our guests via the songs that have touched their lives and embedded themselves into their memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Doug Berman. Doug is executive producer of Car Talk and creator and benevolent overlord of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. That's actually his real title. He's the only one at NPR that has it. A two-time Peabody Award-winning producer, Doug began his career in news while still in college, serving as a production assistant for NPR's All Things Considered in Morning Edition before he found out he could get away with making hit comedy public radio shows. Doug was news director at WFCR in Amherst, Massachusetts, and WBUR in Boston. It was at WBUR that Doug met and became friends with Tom and Ray Maliazzi, who were doing a local call-in show at the time. He produced a pilot for them, and that became the first episode of Car Talk, which, as you know, went on to become one of public radio's most successful shows ever, one that we will all miss dearly. In the late 90s, after Car Talk proved there was an audience for such silliness on NPR, Doug was asked to create another show to pair with Car Talk, and so Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me was born. Doug's bio says both shows reflect his sensibility, that being comedy shows seeded with a modicum of useful information, or as he likes to describe them, not a complete waste of time. When we found out we were going to be launching as a radio show on Saturday mornings at 10 in the place of Car Talk, after about three and a half years as a podcast, it was Doug's name that immediately leapt to mind as the perfect way to bridge that gap. And we couldn't be happier to have gotten him into the studio at UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism to get to know him through his songs and his song stories. Hey there, Doug. How are you doing? Very well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. We really appreciate you doing this. Um, the first question has to be, are you now or have you ever been a bongo player? <laughs> bongo, no. Um, but I, I've been involved in music as long as I can remember. And at college, I got very into their West African drum and dance program, mostly drum. And from that, Tom and Ray, uh, they tend to exaggerate stories um that became that i majored in <laughs> west african drumming um at college and that became that i majored in bongos at college <laughs> um and that became bongo boy so there's a there's a, a a grain of truth there and i uh actually have spent a lot of time studying and playing uh traditional music of ghana from west africa so uh, that's that's where that comes from. So would it be more accurate to describe you as Doug, the subway fugitive, not a slave to fashion, Jimbe boy, Berman? No, Jimbe's more more like. Oh, Senegal. I got the culture uh, wrong. I was yeah, going out on a limb there. I'm glad you need the answer to that. Doug, Doug the Sogo boy, probably. Okay. Bolba boy. Yeah. Um, so where did you grow up, and how would you describe the musical background of your childhood? 
Well, that's a good question. I, I grew up outside of New York City. Uh, I was born in the city and just, my, my family slowly kind of crept away from the city. Um, my, my parents were uh, of the generation that thought the best thing in the world would be to have a separate house uh, and not an apartment um, and have a little piece of lawn and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I grew up in the suburbs. Musically, there, you know, I, I was introduced to playing instruments at a young age. I, um, my mom was really not musical at all, and my dad liked music, but he liked, you know, classical music. And uh, I had the choice when I was in third grade. They gave you, you know, the option of playing any instrument you wanted as long as it was either violin or cello. <laughs> Um, and my dad liked the cello and so he wanted me to play cello. So I was the only sucker on the school bus dragging this thing larger <laughs> than I was, uh, back and forth to school. That was not very successful. And then I, uh, I, I played piano and I, I tried trumpet for a short time and I played guitar and I, um, you know, I sort of, uh, made my way around, um, different instruments, not particularly well, but I really enjoyed it. What kind of parents were you, or what kind of music rather were your parents playing? Uh, my mother liked the Carpenters and I would say sappy pop music from the 50s and early 60s. My dad liked classical music, Beethoven, and um, he, but he also, we crossed over on Simon and Garfunkel. Hmm. He, he liked Simon and Garfunkel and that was acceptable to me as a kid in the, you know, in the sixties growing up. Um, and, uh, I, I still like Paul Simon. I still think he was a great musician. Love his stuff. What was the first uh, band or, or musician or style of music that you glommed onto as an individual and not, you know, influenced from above? Hmm. That is an interesting question. I've tried to remember. Um, you know, I think I remember going down to this department store that was a couple of miles away from my house and riding my bike, you know, every week or two and buying the latest 45. Uh, for those, for those of you who don't remember what those are, <laughs> there were little records that spun faster than long playing LPs. Um, and so I guess I was, you know, I, I started with, you know, what most people start with, which is probably, you know, top 40 radio. I listened to WABC in New York. Um, you know, and then sort of made my way into more progressive music as I got older. But I, I, you know, I remember, I remember being into Elton John, who was a thing, you know, in the early seventies. And, um, I remember, you know, things like Loggins and Messina and then, you know, and then later on, you know, Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. Um, uh, do you remember the first music you owned? Ah, geez. Um, I, you know, I think, I don't think I owned it, but I found somewhere in the house a 45 of Bobby Darren. Huh. And for some reason, I remember that. Uh, I don't remember the song. I don't remember liking it. I just remember having it. Um, yeah, I can tell you one story about music I don't like to this day. Um, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, um, there were there were eight track tape players, another technology that's passed us by and eight tracks, uh, as you guys know, 
you know, were essentially the length of a, of a regular album or even two albums. And they would continually rotate through it. So nonstop, it would just go one, one song to the next and back to the beginning. And, uh, I guess I was at some point I had some interest in the beach boys and I, I bought a, uh, a, an eight track called endless summer, which was sort of the best of the, the beach boys. And then when I was, I must've been 10 or 11 years old or something, maybe somewhere around there. And I got one of these uh, childhood, you know, fever diseases. Um, and I was stuck in bed with a, with a high fever. Um, and my mother, uh, would, uh, had to leave for work. So, you know, she would sort of come and see to me and, and, and all that. And, you know, and she would wish me well. And then she, you know, I was home from school with this fever and she would leave for work and the fever would kind of spike during the day. And I remember being a little bit delirious and just kind of out of there. <laughs> and you know where this is going. And yeah, so, the, yeah. so, the, so the Beach Boys A-Track was across the room and it was on and it, it went around and around and I was too sick to get up and I was kind of coming in and out of consciousness and every time I came in, I'd hear the Beach Boys, you know, and, you know, it's like getting sick on a certain type of alcohol when you're in college, you know, like you can mm -hmm. never touch it again, just the smell of it. Um, and so, so I have never listened to the Beach Boys intentionally uh, since then. So when you hear the Beach Boys, it's like literally a fever dream. It, it, it makes me a little nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know they're very good. Uh, do you play any instruments still to this day? I still do the African music. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. if you can learn any instrument instantly without having to try, which would it be? Oof. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, probably a lot of them. Um, I, you know what I wish I could do on an instrument was, is to, is to have that, um, ability that great musicians have to hear something and how and translate it immediately through you know your fingers or your mouth or whatever it is to the instrument and i never quite got there with any of my instruments you know um i mean i'd love to be able to play guitar like that um you know there there are instruments i i really admire um piano horns all that stuff um if i could play any of them really well i'd be really happy and in fact one thing i'd love to be able to do is to sing I can't sing for beans. Um, you know, I mean, I can, I can make do, but I'm not good at it. And I wish I was maybe, maybe in my, uh, in my dotage, I'll take some lessons. Are you shy about singing and that's what keeps you from doing it? Or are you just bad singer? Uh, I would say I'm shy about it because I'm a bad singer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Both A and B. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it is time for us to get to your first song. Um, uh, let's hear it for the boy. Would you like to tell a little story? Well, you know, you asked me to, to come up with, uh, think of songs that, you know, bring me back to a certain place. And so that's one that came to mind. Um, right after college, uh, this would have been, you know, 1984, um, I drove across the country with my college girlfriend at the time. And um, in 1984, you know, there, there, there wasn't... Uh, 
you know, satellite radio, there weren't, you know, iPads and iPhones and all that stuff. And you were really, for music, you were pretty limited, you know, to the radio. Um, I mean, get a cassette player or something, but it was really, you know, pretty limited. And so we were driving, you know, for many weeks across the country and spent a lot of time in the Western United States. And you really couldn't get much on the radio. You know, it'd be a lot of static and uh, the FM stations didn't go far. So we ended up on the AM dial all the time. And what we ended up being able to, you know, tune in were these huge uh, AM top 40 stations that are kind of dotted throughout the country. Um, And so, you know, we'd drive out of one place and lose a station and, you know, have nothing for a little while. And then another one would come in and it seemed like this song, Let's Hear It For The Boy, was always on because it was, uh, it was, you know, it, it was a big hit that summer. It was number one for a couple of weeks and spent about 10 weeks on the charts, you know, in the top 10. And so it seemed like four or five times a day that song would be on the car. And so that, that just reminds me of, uh, of that trip and driving through the West. Uh, what kind of car were you guys in? We were in a uh, 1979 Pontiac Phoenix. Uh, what color? Dark blue. It blew a head gasket in Wyoming. Oof. Well, let's picture you and your girlfriend. What was her name? Leslie. All right, let's picture Doug and Leslie driving, yeah, Leslie. In, driving in that car, listening to this song uh, on AM radio. This is Let's Hear It for the Boy by Denise Williams. And I clearly have blocked this from my memory because... <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> because because I, 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 it was in Footloose. I, oh, that's right. I, I, I've blocked I all Footloose from my memory. But yeah, it was in Footloose, came out in 1984 on her album, Let's Hear It for the Boy. So when was the last time you listened to that song all the way through, intently? Uh, <laughs> 1984. <laughs> there it is, The Sound of the Summer of 1984. Not a bad song. Not a bad song. Did you uh, remember the words? No, not, not right. Really. A little bit. I remember the chorus, you know. Um, it, it's, it's definitely got sort of that slightly electronic uh, post-disco production thing going on. But it's a nice hook, and it's nicely produced. I kind of like it. I'm glad... I'm going to listen to it once every 35 years. <laughs> we'll sit, I'll set a reminder yeah, and let you know. Yeah. Let, us know let us know how it feels the next time. Um, it yeah. takes me back to, to my middle school cafeteria dance. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you were in high school, like what was the vibe that you put off in terms of music and how you interacted with the world? Uh, I was in bands and stuff, you know. Um I was probably playing like, you know, keyboards and a little guitar and in, in various bands, high school bands. So I think that, you know, that gave me a pass with the cool kids. Right. Um, who I n- normally would not have gotten a pass from because I was, you know, I was uh, interested in, in doing well at school and stuff. So, um, I, you know, that, that helped me out. Um, and I was, you know, I spent a lot of time, a lot of free time, you know, playing music. That was a, that was a hobby. Any of the bands that you were in have names you remember? Oh boy. The one I remember best was called The Other Band. Um, and then, uh, I guess later on I was in a band in college called Low Clearance. Um, Low Clearance. I, yeah. I can't remember any others off the top of my head. Are you a dancer? 
No, no, no. I've got good rhythm, but I, um, I don't have really good, um, body awareness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like I know when to move, but you know, like if I, I can think it, but my, the parts don't exactly go exactly where I want. I could fake it a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not much of a dancer. No. What are your opinions of Footloose? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Footloose. What? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry. I just bring that up because I couldn't stand it because there's just way too much dancing in it. <laughs> you, it's, just, oh. it's just all dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are too many cars in cars. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, okay. So do you remember the first live music that you saw or a concert? Yes. Something that would be, you know, concert-ish. Yeah. I, uh, I, I got, we got, uh, me and a friend of mine who I played music with a little bit, um, we, we got tickets to see Loggins and Messina at, um, I think it would have been, I don't know if it was Lincoln Center, but it was one of those, you know, one of the places near, either at or near Lincoln Center. Um, and so we got, you know, one of the parents drove us there and the other parent picked us up, you know. Um, so that was my first, that was my first concert that I remember. Have you seen lots of concerts over the years? Um, yeah, I, I probably, you know, I probably saw a lot of concerts earlier on and then, um, I think I kind of soured on the concert scene and I mostly over the last, you know, a few decades, I'm just going, uh, I'll go see someone at a small venue, uh, if I really like them. Do you have a peak concert experience that you can recall or just like the best show, most memorable show that you've been to? Um, you know, I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but um, uh, I saw Trombone Shorty uh, at um, a festival up in um, Northern California just a few years ago, um, and it was it was one of the best shows I've seen. We'll leave that little teaser we'll, we'll there let, for yeah, now. Well, that's a, we're foreshadowing. Um, what is the uh, the biggest act you've seen in a small venue or you know musician? I saw Springsteen uh, in, what year would it have been? It would have been, I don't know, 2000-ish. Um, he, he did a fundraiser for a poetry magazine um, that was a, a Boston or Cambridge-based poetry magazine. And he agreed to do two nights at this little 900-seat theater about uh, six blocks from my house when I lived in Cambridge. Um, and the tickets were 500 bucks each, which hurt, but, uh, that was fantastic. It sort of, it, it sort of was a, um, uh, a, an early omen of the stuff he's doing now on Broadway, you know, where he mm. talked and played and you can find a bootleg of it out there. It's at the Somerville theater. Um, and he, he talked about the meaning of the songs um, and sort of went into what he was thinking when he wrote them, um, and then, you know, played them by himself. He was playing solo, uh, and then took some questions from, from the audience. Uh, and at that time that was a really unusual experience because he was playing, you know, arenas at the time. Um, and he was funny and he was interesting and he was smart and, you know, things that everybody sort of sees now when you've seen a lot more of him in this kind of setting. But that was fantastic. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Garbage man. Garbage man. Really? Me too, actually. Um, yeah. You just look right. fun. Riding on the back the of the truck, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, my um, my father had a uh, an old 
enormous Bell and Howell reel-to-reel recorder that he had purchased wow. in the 50s. And he would record us kids just talking, you know, he'd interview us or talk to us. And there's a, a tape of me apparently that he asked me what I want to be when I grow up. And I said, a garbage man, which makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to ride on the back of those things, right? So uh, garbage man didn't work out. So when yeah. did public radio come onto your radar? Um, that's a good question too. You know, I, I, my first job in radio was, was spinning records. Um, I, I took an internship at a local FM station near the high school. Um, and this was a place that, uh, first of all, I had, I had been there once before when I was in 10th grade, I worked for a, uh, a, a, a little remote, t- uh, a closed circuit television program that the high school did. And, uh, there was this, this station and it, it was a progressive rock station that played all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, we loved it at the time cause it was really different and interesting. And then one day as radio station, commercial radio stations do one day, like from one minute to the next, it went to easy listening, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and suddenly it was, you know, Carly Simon and, you know, um, wait, Doug, does that mean that you have, uh, like a radio voice, like a DJ voice? Somewhere um, in there? I don't know if it came from doing this stuff or uh, probably not. I think it just, you know, yeah, maybe because I did, I mean, I did enough talking on the air that you just get used to it. Um, but the station just like switched off and suddenly it was for our parents, you know, mm. and, and we were all very upset. So, you know, I got assigned to go and interview the program director and find out why they did this. Now, you know, having worked in radio for a long time, I know how, know why they did it because they weren't making any money and nobody was listening except, you know, these kids poor, in high school. Poor, poor high school students. Yeah, they couldn't sell any ads. So, uh, but anyway, so I go up and I make a, a, an appointment with the program director and I, uh, and it's, you know, the place is like, it's in a house on the second floor of a house. On one side is a, a, a um, hair salon and on the other side is a radio station. And so I go in to see the program director and the program director comes out and his name is Howard Stern. <laughs> and it, it, it and the, and he, the, 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 the Howard Stern, the Howard Stern. Okay. Um, and, uh, so we sit down and we set up the camera and we say, so tell us about the format change. And Howard Stern sincerely looks at us and says, what format change? <laughs> That's my Howard Stern story. <laughs> um, he was the program director there at the time. And then I came back a couple of years later and I, I interned there and was very fortunate to uh, work with a guy named Earl Bailey, who was an old um, rock and roll guy who's now on Sirius. Um, and he taught me production, the, at least, you know, the, the beginnings of what could be done, you know, with radio production. And that really interested me. Um, and so as my interests changed, you know, I, I, I got a little bored spinning records, uh, got more interested in, you know, news and events and, you know, reading the newspapers and all that. As my interests changed, I was able to kind of apply that, um, that knowledge of production to, you know, news and, and information. And then I went to NPR and that was really boot camp. You know, that's like, that's where the best work in the country is getting done in terms of, you know, audio production. At least, it, you know, certainly was the time and I suspect it still is. Um, 
And so, you know, I, that's where I really learned how to do production. You were actually like a, a news director a couple times from what yeah, I've read. Yeah, I, I was interested in news because because that's where the production was. You know, that's where the interesting work was going on. You know, I, I, I kind of liked the storytelling. I liked, you know, the, the sound. I liked being able to do interesting things. Um, and then sort of my latent, you know, comic interests uh, kind of reemerged after a few years of trying to be a, a news professional, which, you know, didn't work out uh, as well as my parents had hoped. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, but I was, again, I was able to use all that, it, which was really great. What You know, when I was at NPR, I was editing interviews. So, you know, you, what your job as a production assistant would be to go into the studio, you know, book an interview for the host, you know, prepare the host with some questions, uh, you know, prepare the guest, take them all into the studio, get the interview done, suggest, you know, questions while you're doing it, and then edit it, you know, from, you know, 25 minutes or whatever it came out to, uh, you know, down to four minutes for all things considered, you know, and, and that's really the secret sauce of NPR. You know, it's, uh, I mean, sure, we have really smart people, um, and, uh, but, you know, what we do is we don't waste anyone's time. We take out anything that's extraneous and give you like a concentrated, interesting, you know, piece of something. And so I was able to, to take that same approach to comedy, ex- essentially, with Car Talk, because the guys were doing these very long calls, you know, they take three calls in an hour, you know. Um, and there was some very funny stuff that went on, but, you know, based on my background, my, my first thought was, well, let's edit this to the, to the time it really deserves, you know? And, you know, so, so that was, that was sort of how Car Talk came together and its production style. So in the early days of Car Talk, how big was the team? Was it just you and the guys and you were doing all the work or just kind of paint a picture of, you know, how that worked early on? Um, it was, yeah, that was it pretty much. I mean, we, you know, we'd have an engineer that we used, uh, at the very beginning, you know, who'd, who'd, you know, operate the, the audio console and record it and stuff like that. Um, and I think I had an assistant who would place the calls, you know, um, cause we were doing call outs. That was another, a, a production invention sort of that we, we, you know, we were in different time zones all over the country. So we couldn't just ask people to call in. So we'd have people call in whenever they heard the show, we'd, they leave messages. We'd, call back the ones that we, you know, want on for the, for that week. And then we'd sort of put them on hold and they'd listen to the show, uh, until they're, you know, they were, uh, asked to be on. Um, so I think there was, there was, at first it was just me and, and I think it was Doug Mayer, I think it was my first assistant, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, and then I was doing the editing. Yeah, I was doing all the editing. And then I, you know, I quickly tried to unload that after a year or two <laughs> and expand the staff. So, uh, Were you putting together the re-airs or do you have somebody that was doing that by now? Putting together what? The, the re-airs or the, the encores or whatever you call uh, the you ones. When you switch to best of. When you switch to best ofs. Oh, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, uh, I have a, a producer who does that. Um, 
How did the um, extra names in the credits thing come about with Car Talk? Is that just a way to, to round out the hour so you hit a post, or, or what's the explanation for that? No, not at all, because we always, you know, we always recorded much more than we needed every week, and then we'd, you know, we'd edit it and, and give everybody the best, the best of what happened that week. So it had nothing to do with timing. What happened was, um, uh, uh, let's see, give me a second here. Sure. Of course. Just have to try to remember the story. Yeah, what happened was um, Tom found this clip in the paper about a study. Uh, there was a guy named uh, Dr. DeFranza um, who was at UMass Medical Center. And if, if my memory is correct, which it may not be at this point, but he had done a study uh, about smokers and that smokers were worse drivers uh, than other drivers. And so Tom read this on the air and, um, the guys started laughing and saying, you know, I, I know exactly why this is, you know, and Tom told a story about when you're, you know, when you're driving a car, when he's driving a car and he's smoking a cigar and the ash falls off and falls between your legs while you're driving. <laughs> And you're trying to, you know, yeah. brush it out and jump around. And he said, and he, they all were laughing. They were cracking up. And they were saying, that's why smokers are worth drivers. And this guy, Dr. DeFrenzi, doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, and they had a good time. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, we get this envelope. And the return address is, you know, from DeFranza at UMass Medical. And I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, here we are a year into our into the show. And we're already getting sued, you know, <laughs> and we're going to have to go off the air and, you know, I'm going to lose my house and everything else. And uh, I open it up and, uh, you know, Dr. DeFranza um, says, you know, I was, I was thrilled to hear <laughs> promoting my study. You know, I love the show. Keep up the great work. And so uh, we named Dr. DeFranza as our automotive medical researcher. And that was the beginning of it. And then, you know, um, it just kind of went on from there and snowballed. I looked up on – there's like a list on a website somewhere and there's like a hundred of them or something. <laughs> well, we rotate – yeah, we would add and, and, re and, and remove every week. And, you know, it, when, when one of us would come up with one that we liked, we'd add it in. Do you have uh, a favorite? Well, one of the ones I'm, I'm probably most proud of that I like uh, was um, – the head of our our working mother support group. His name was Erasmus <laughs> B. Dragon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I I'm I'm partial to that one, but there there are a lot of great ones and oh. a lot of not so great ones. But but may, they made us laugh. How did you moment, end up so. with a theme song that starts with a banjo? It do, um, that doesn't seem like something that you know two guys from MIT up in the Northeast would be resonating with. But explain, I guess. Au contraire, piston pusses. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tom and Ray were in a bluegrass band. Oh my uh, goodness! Yeah, they're they're both uh, bluegrass players. Um, Tom played bass and uh, Ray plays guitar, um, and so they were very much into bluegrass. And they knew about uh, David Grisman, um, who I also knew about and was a fan of from uh, from college. Even I I went and saw him and and, and always liked his music. David Grisman is a a mandolin player um, who is credited with inventing uh, a type of music that he calls dog music, D-A-W-G, um, which is kind of, you know, it's a combination of swing, 
bluegrass, jazz, you know, uh, and, and he is also known for always having a fantastic band and it changes over the years and people kind of move in and move out. Um, and he's, you know, he's launched a lot of very good musicians. Uh, anyway, the guys liked that, uh, that particular album, which is called dog, dog jazz, dog grass or dog grass, dog jazz. Um, and the, the tune is called doggy mountain breakdown, which is a, you know, kind of a, a riff on, um, whatever the other ones, uh, foggy, foggy mountain breakdown. Thank you. Oh, there's and, a, sorry, and, there's, there's a documentary about him, a uh, grateful dog. Is that right? Yeah. It's about him uh-huh. and, um, Jerry Garcia. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. They, they played together quite a bit. They lived together, uh, not together. They lived near each other in, uh, <laughs> in, in Marin. Um, yeah. In fact, Grisman, um, you know, we've, we've been in touch with him over the years and, uh, um, you know, one time I, I, I got a ticket to see him. Uh, we're visiting my mother-in-law in San Francisco and he was playing in his hometown theater, uh, in Mill Valley in this, this sort of, you know, small theater on New Year's Eve. And we decided, oh, let's go see him. So we just bought tickets and went to see him. And in the middle of the show, he introduces the next song and he says, uh, you may have heard this song. This is probably one of my better known songs now, you know, cause it was adopted by Click and Clack, you know? And, uh, and he said, uh, really, you know, it's nice of them. He said, but I never got a dime off it. <laughs> and then he played the doggy mountain breakdown. And so I went and saw him afterwards and I gave him a dime and I said, I don't want to ever hear that again. <laughs> um, real quick, click and clack. Are those their natural nicknames or was that something that came out of the show? Um, th- it, it came out of the show. Um, th- they, uh, they, there was, there were some, these radio guys, uh, on, I don't know when it was. I'm, uh, my history is, uh, I'm not really, um, let me take that again. Um, there were two guys on the radio, at, you know, a while ago that called themselves frickin' frack. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Tom and Ray kind of making fun of that called themselves click and clack, which is the sound that, um, noisy tappets in an engine make. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of a joke on a joke on a joke, but you know, yeah. <laughs> That's the so, way sounds like, yeah, sounds like how that rolled. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, and Malyatsi was hard to pronounce also. So. <laughs> how do you say it? Uh, Malyatsi. Malyatsi. The, the, the G is silent. That's, oh. it, that's the Italian pronunciation. I've never tried to say it out loud. So, so it's spelled M-A-G-L-I-O-Z-Z-I and it's pronounced, m- well, if you really go for it, it's Malyatsi. <laughs> But it's like bad yachts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, all right. Well, it is time for your second song, Doug Berman. Um, uh, this is the Bonnie Raitt song, right? Yeah. This was uh, uh, this was it was it came to mind because it also took place in a similar setting. Uh, you know, here we are. Uh, you know, we played "Let's Hear It for the Boy," which is a very upbeat, top forty type of thing, and that was sort of you know post college time of life. Well, about. Uh, you know, seven, I guess it was seven or so years later, um, I had the opportunity to drive across the country again. Um, the circumstances were quite different. I did not have a girlfriend. Um, uh, and uh, I was wor- doing car talk at the time. And somehow I managed to arrange uh, a car. Nissan needed a car driven from the East Coast to the West Coast. And I volunteered to do it. Um, so I had this car that had a 10 CD player in the back which was kind of a new thing at the time. Um, and so every morning as I was driving, I would load up the CDs and I'd pick from my, you know, I had maybe 30 or so I'd brought with me. 
um, and I, I'd load up the CDs and I'd, you know, I'd just drive for hours. Um, and one of my favorites became this uh, Bonnie Raitt album called Luck of the Draw. Now, you may know Bonnie Raitt from, you know, earlier on as sort of her, you know, bluesy period. I guess she's still in a bluesy period, but, you know, she had sort of a lot of success in the, in the early seventies and, um, and then she was, you know, sort of quiet for a while. And then she came back with this just knockout album, which was just so sophisticated and so beautiful, uh, that I absolutely fell in love with it. And this particular song, uh, which is, I can't make you love me is a ballad, uh, that I had, I've since met her and I saw her in concert and she dedicated it to her father, uh, who was um, John Raid, the, the theater impresario. Um, and uh, it, you know, when I hear this song, what I remember is, you know, driving at 80 miles an hour with the windows down, you know, 90 degrees out, this sort of hot wind blowing and, you know, driving through the cornfields, uh, you know, of Iowa and Nebraska. And, you know, the song is slow and sophisticated and beautiful. And, you know, the hot wind is blowing and the corn's going by. Was there anybody that you were thinking of that you couldn't make love them? <laughs> no, you know, I don't listen to lyrics when I listen to music, oh. oddly enough. Um, I'm one of those people, you know, when they talk, when I say, oh, I love this song, they're like, really? It's so depressing. And I'm like, what's it about? You know, I, I almost, I almost don't even hear that stuff. I'm, I'm listening for melody and chord changes and arrangement, stuff like that. Um, so to me, um, it, it's just a beautiful, beautifully written song. Well, let's listen to it. This is uh, Bonnie Raitt's I, I Can't Make You Love Me. It's off, like you said, her 1991 album, Luck of the Draw. You know, the, the, the lyrics are kind of melancholy now that you mention it. <laughs> we yeah, yeah, we yeah well, attention to it. That, that's, that's why we make uh, you listen to oh, the song. Yeah. Are you um, going to listen to this ever again it, now, Doug? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's a beautiful song. It's, it's kind of painfully beautiful, you know. Um, one of the things I loved about just the fact of that album and how good it was uh, was that you know when I was when I was a kid, pop music was really a thing for for young musicians. You know, like all of the big stars, you know, were like in their twenties. Um, you know, and here is you know Bonnie Raitt in 1991 doing you know what's arguably her best album to date. You know, and I just love the idea that you know that like in every other field people get better at things the more they do it, you know? I mean, here's, here's a very talented musician and songwriter. And, you know, in 1991, she's doing better work than ever, you know, which is, I, I just think it's fantastic. Can I uh, humbly suggest a song to you, Doug? Yeah. Uh, if you haven't, you may have heard it, but um, Girl Crush by Little Big Town. Okay. Um, it's, it is a tragically beautiful song you'll have to listen to the lyrics and though. you have to listen to the lyrics <laughs> but but it, but it's uh, also right. the good news is it's also incredibly catchy uh, i'll listen to the lyrics a second time through that's How's a good that? move all right i'm writing it down so um do you listen to music while you're working ever um not very often um 
when I'm doing uh, things like balancing the checkbook, <laughs> stuff that, you know, that doesn't require um, my creative mind, I'll put on music. But I can't really, I can't really think and listen to music at the same time. So wait, wait, don't tell me. You guys have your uh, um, Not My Job guests on. Who would you say is your biggest get in terms of musicians or people who are known for their music? Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. You know, biggest get, uh, I mean, we had Elvis Costello on. That's pretty big. It was pretty big. Um, you know, we've had... Um, you just asked Doug to like rate his guests. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I don't want to. I mean, if I were rating them, it wouldn't be in the same order that listeners were rating them because my my musical taste is a little bit oddball, you know. Um, we had uh, Garth Brooks, you know, big star, uh, and his wife. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I loved having Robert Earl Keen on, a great songwriter from Austin. I loved having Trombone Shorty on. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a little something for everybody. Um, does music fit into the production of the program at all? Like if, for instance, if you're doing a live show, do you ever like spruce up the audience with somebody with a guitar beforehand or anything like that? No, but we, you know, as you probably know on Wait, Wait, there's a musical comment at the end of each segment often, you know, we use music in production mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, add a joke. Um, and we have, we have warm up music. We'll, you know, we'll play, um, when people are coming in and getting seated. BJ Lederman did the theme song, right? Yes. I listened to an interview with him on World Cafe with Talia Schlanger and he seems like he's pretty far out there. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know him? I mean, I, feel I haven't like spent you must any time him. with him. I, oh, no? I, you know, we talked, I mean, when we were, when we were working on this, when he was doing the theme, but I don't, I, you know, we, we've never hung out. So I, I, I don't know that he's far out. He maybe I'll take your word for it. Well, it's interesting because he's good you know, at writing themes. Well, he's clearly good at writing themes and he's one of those names that public radio listeners know, but they don't know them, which is you're on that same list, by the way, which is why I'm, we're so happy that uh -huh. you're talking to us. It's like you and BJ Lederman and Bob Boylan. Who else, Richard, would be like a name where they all Probably know. all the engineers. Yeah, right? well, and all the engineers. Um, yeah. You know, doing radio, you have, you know, you have a hand in these shows that have millions of listeners, but you're able to just kind of walk around the world completely anonymously, right? It's great, isn't it? I know. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> but, but do you have, you must certainly have moments, cocktail parties or whatever, where people are like, oh, yeah, you want Doug Berman, whatever. And then somehow it comes up that you're, you have a hand in car talk or wait, wait, and there must just like fangirl or fanboy out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I get some of that. In fact, it, it was, it, it used to happen a lot more when I used to go out to cocktail parties and things. <laughs> right. Understood. But, but I had, a, I, I had a, my, my wife and I have a deal, um, that we're not allowed to out each other at these things. So, you know, the problem, the problem is if, if, if someone finds out that I do car talk and wait, wait, that's all they want to talk about. Right. You know, and yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm happy. I'm always happy to meet fans, and it's like it's actually really rewarding that you know people love the shows, and I'm very grateful for that. But if I'm if I spend the whole night answering their questions like, "What is Peter really like?" you know, and and what you know, "What is Ray really?" you know, um, that gets a little a little old for me. Um, so my wife and I made a deal that she she's not allowed to say, "Oh, Doug does car talk." So at least I have some time at the party where I can ask people about themselves, you know, 
um, and, and have other kinds of conversation. And she's a veterinarian. And so I got her back one time. Uh, we were at a park and, you know, dogs were running around and some woman said, oh, my dog doesn't do this and my veterinarian. And I said, my wife's a veterinarian. And I walked away. <laughs> and after that, we made the deal. <laughs> That's so funny. When you said out at her, so, I thought, ooh, who does, what does she do at NPR? But no, yeah, yeah a wholly different reason. So, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, it's great to meet, to meet fans. And I, the truth is I, I actually love it, you know. I mean, it's, what's better than having somebody say, you know, you've, you've made me laugh a lot. You know, you've like made my life better in some ways, you know. I mean, that's, that's amazing. So I don't, I don't want to downplay it or poo-poo it, you know. Well, on the note of fandom, um, you know, people are going to be hearing this um, the first weekend that we don't carry car talk. Mm-hmm. And um, I want you to know that our, in our area, in our listener area, um, the hour of car talk on Saturday mornings uh, outperforms all but like 12 hours of our week. Wow. Uh, we have a really loyal car talk fan base. Well, you know, there's a, there's an argument to be made that, um, you know, in, in the present moment, there's, there's even more need to go into the world that Tom and Ray create, you know, Mm, mm -hmm. where the, where the worst thing that happens is like a noise that goes, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's as bad as it gets, you know, um, and they can laugh at it. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's something to that, that it's, um, it's, it's a way to get away. And so, you know, while I think it's, it's really time to, you know, let other talent, um, you know, use that space on the radio because radio real estate is a limited resource. Um, we're really lucky that these days, you know, we still have this technology called podcasting. And for the people who really want to spend, you know, time with Tom and Ray, they can, they'll still be able to get it that way, which is great for everybody, I think. Well, and like I said in the in the email that I sent you, I mean, for me, like I, I use this uh, on pledge drive sometimes when we do it on the weekends. It's like I don't have to make this up. And that's what makes it like effective is that public radio listeners Saturday morning is, you know, you, you have weekend Saturday and then you've got car talk and then you've got wait, wait, don't tell me. And then you can start your weekend. And that's just how the weekend starts. And so cheers to that. I just want to like thank you on behalf of myself and our yeah. listeners for creating that world. Seconded. You know what? It's. I, I, I could use a cliche. It's it's my pleasure, but it has been so much my pleasure. You know what I mean? Like it has been such a great time working with Tom and Ray and getting that opportunity for so long and doing wait wait also um, that it truly is my pleasure. Um. So pandemic started. Yeah, I feel like it really like it's not the only data point, but it really felt real when suddenly you guys were all on Zoom in closets. Yeah. And so can you just talk a little bit about the challenge of doing that? Because from my reading, it's kind of like you went back to your early days before yeah. you started doing it live or with people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's harder. Um, yeah, we had a, uh, a show in Atlanta. I think it was, might have been March 12th or what, it's, it's early March uh, of last year. Um, and things were already starting to get a little hairy and, you know, there were conversations about, should we go ahead with it? Should we cancel it? Uh, this, the team decided they wanted to try to go ahead with it. I decided not to go on the show cause I was just not comfortable at that point. Um, uh, and 
so the, so the team went to Atlanta and I was meeting with them, you know, by Zoom and stuff like that. And um, the night before, the venue decided to cancel it. <laughs> so th- we did that show from Atlanta on the stage uh, of this theater with nobody in the theater. Uh, and that was the last time we were together uh, until this summer. Um, and, you know, we, we immediately sort of got together and said, you know, how are we going to do this? Uh, and, and we did a lot of brainstorming. We had a lot of help from our engineering staff and, and our producers. And we decided to ship uh, out these recording kits to our panelists uh, and work with them so they could record their parts uh, in their own homes. Um, but the feeling among the staff was really that, you know, if you can put yourself back there last March, it was a weird time. Like everybody was scared, you know. Uh, we, the, the pandemic was here. Nobody knew how bad it was going to be. Nobody knew what it meant. No, what it, nobody knew when life was going to return. And we decided, you know what, if we can do a show, even if it's not exactly like what we usually do, that's going to be good for folks, you know, to be able to tune in to wait, wait that they're used to and hear that we're here and we're making fun of the news. And in some sense, you know, everything is okay. And so we, you know, we, we decided to do that and we just sort of figured out how to do it and we do it that way now. And it's not as easy. <laughs> it's much easier to do, to do comedy when you have an audience, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I found a quote, uh, from Mo Rocca, um, before the pandemic, when he was talking about doing it remotely, how hard it was to know if a joke landed, you didn't have any of that feedback and that's exactly where you guys landed, but it really did work from a listener's perspective. And I would assume you would agree from a producer's perspective, but the show was still the show and that was great. Yeah, I think it is still the show. You know, another, this is like an insider thing, but we have to create more material because, because normally some of the time of the hour is taken up with people laughing. (laughs) (laughs) So there's an extra 10% you get now without the laughs. Um, I just had to uh, uh, note real quick, you mentioned panelists. So my new favorite panelist is Maeve Higgins. Just okay. By the yeah. way, she's great. great. And I just had to just bring up the tortoise thing. Tortoise. Do you remember uh-huh. the tortoise yeah. thing? Yeah, I do. Was that a bit or was that like really who she was? Because I like I, – I couldn't stop laughing. It's often hard to tell with Maeve. You know, I think, I think in a way that's who she is and she also knows how to kind of go with it. Yeah, you know, but she's she's fantastic. Um, she is a, a one of a kind, and we really like her too. And just real quick for the listeners, it was a bit where she was reading what what's it called when they have to make up the story or a bluff, bluff bluff the listener, yeah. and her bluff the yeah. listener had to do with tortoises, you know, the the, the land dwelling animals with shells, and just with a straight face, she just called it tortoise throughout the entire thing. It was mm-hmm. really good. <laughs> um, so. Musicals. Are you into musicals? Uh, I really dislike musicals. Oh. I actively dislike them, and I'm what sorry. Is it? What is it you don't <laughs> and like? And I apologize what, what to Lin-Manuel like, like, Miranda. It's like me and Footloose. What is it about <laughs> musicals? Um, I, you know, I, as long as I can remember, I didn't like them. And I think it was, it was such an obvious pretense. Like, I couldn't suspend my belief that people were just doing something, and suddenly they'd break into song. You know, at least that's not the way I grew up. 
And, um, you know, when I was growing up, musicals, the, the type of music in musicals wasn't really something that appealed to me except for hair, you know? <laughs> if, if, um, if it's ironic, like um, Schmigadoon, is that enough uh -huh. to sell you on it? Or is even the self-aware people breaking out into singing too much? Uh, I haven't I haven't watched Schmigadoon, but I, um, you know, I, I, I liked Avenue Q. Mm, mm -hmm. um, I certainly liked Hamilton. Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've seen some that I like. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little harsh. But it's not it's not a genre that I particularly care for. Do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share with us besides the car talk ones that we've heard? Uh, well, off the air, um, yeah, everybody, pretty much everybody was called this. But I, you know, I think it was started with me, uh, with the guys uh, called me this. And I'm not, I don't really want to say it on the air, but I'll tell you what it is. Um, do you guys have you guys ever played golf? Do you know what golf? I mean, you know the I game. I grew up playing golf. Mike was a competitive golfer <laughs> in high school. Okay, <laughs> I haven't played golf, but I you know, I know what it is. You know when you make those short little um, uh, little shots on the green. Uh -huh. You know what those are called? Uh huh. You want me to say it? Yeah. Chips. No, no, no. The really short ones. Putt. Putt. Yeah. Pluralized. Putts. Putts. That's oh, the name. I got I'm it. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little peek behind the curtain there. Um, yeah. So it, it, I don't know how it started. It was just one of these silly things um, that they thought was funny, and then everybody started. It was basically became a greeting, you know, like in, instead of dude, it, it was putz. How you doing? <laughs> it's, so that's what everybody called each other. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, what song would you come into the arena on? If I were a championship wrestler, what song? I guess I can't use, I can't make you love me, right? <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> <laughs> let's, go, let's go with Let's Hear It for the Boy. I think <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Let's and your wrestler music. name right? could be The Boy. The Boy, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I have no idea. Uh, last question before your third song is, if you were a cocktail or drink of some kind oh, yes. that represents who you are, what would it be? We're making a cocktail. So not an, ex not an existing one, like make up a cocktail. Make up a cocktail. Yeah. Well, or you know, or, you pick one and then make it your own somehow. Yeah, man, these are hard questions. Um, we don't fool around. All right. Well, I I think I think it'd have to be a little bit uh, cynical, a little bit. So maybe we'll go with like a bitter, you know, um, like a Campari. Um, Ooh, yeah. in there, and then we'd want something sweet. Because I'm very sweet, <laughs> um, so uh, I don't know what's sweet. Simple syrup, sweet vermouth. How's that? There you go. Um, and then uh, something funny. What's a funny alcohol? Um, tequila. You know, tequila make you do funny things. That's uh, not no. Not gonna really work with funny. vermouth and bitter Let's though. See. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe bathtub gin. Yeah, uh -huh. moonshine. Moonshine's yeah. funny to say. Okay, what's it called? Yeah, name it. Uh, what's it called? Yeah. Um, I think it's called the Dougie. The Dougie. The Dougie. Not the okay. dance move. <laughs> okay, then yeah. now we are moving on to your third song, Doug. What is it? Um, I had a really tough time deciding which song to use. Uh, 
for my last one. Um, I'm a huge uh, fan of New Orleans music. Um, I find it's the closest to African music that I've found. Um, and one of the things that I love about it is that it's uh, it can be really really high quality music in terms of the musicianship and the the music itself uh, and it's oh, but it's also always got this sort of celebratory feeling to it and a communal feeling to it um and so um you know, I've spent a bunch of time been to New Orleans a bunch of times um and I wanted to you know have something to represent that and so the song I chose uh, is from Trombone Shorty. Um, Trombone Shorty is a, uh, a fantastic musician, band leader, arranger, songwriter. He's, he's kind of this, and singer. He's got it all. He's really an amazing talent. And he's kind of, to me, the center of modern, you know, New Orleans music right now. Um, and, you know, he has a, a sense of, of the New Orleans past and he sort of put his own touch on it. Um, and this particular song is called uh, Here Come the Girls. And it's a remake. Uh, it was originally written by Alan Toussaint, who was in his day uh, uh, a, uh, you know, the center of New Orleans music in a lot of ways. <laughs> Uh, Toussaint wrote it in, 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 in 1971 uh, to be recorded by a guy named Ernie K. Doe, who was known for a song called Mother-in-Law, which you may remember from the early 60s, also a, a New Orleans classic. Um, anyway, it's, it's got a, that really uh, classic New Orleans sound. It's in some ways very simple, you know, and the lyrics are kind of very simple, um, and yet... Uh, it's incredibly catchy and it's kind of celebratory uh, of New Orleans and of, of the people. So it's called uh, Here Come the Girls. All right, let's listen to it. It's trombone. It's trombone. It's from Trombone Shorty's 2017 album, Parking Lot Symphony. Were we hearing you drumming in there, Doug Berman? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was my pen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were you feeling when you're listening to that? Uh, the New Orleans vibe, you know, I mean, that's it, you know, it's, and trombone shorty does it as well as anybody, you know, the, the, the horns, the syncopation, the, you know, it's sort of an audience participation element to the chorus, you know, um, it's, it's hard to not have, not feel like you're going to have a good time when you hear music like that. I could picture it as like an opening song to a Tarantino film. Like, yeah, like the way sure. it kind of ends, you could just kind of see like the montage or whatever's happening is ending, and now the film's going to start. Or like the text, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. like, when when I was uh, you know starting out, I went to a, uh, a public radio conference in New Orleans. Um, again, this would have been you know late '80s sometime, um, and I went out to walk around, and I walked around the French Quarter. Um, and I walked by the store and there was a, like a 20 by 24 photograph, um, sorry, um, there was, there was a 20 by 24 photograph of Louis Armstrong. Um, and I was just taken by it. He was, 
it was a black and white, you know, he had his uh, horn in his hand and the horn was kind of facing down. He was resting and he kind of was looking up and you saw the whites of his eyes. He's kind of looking up kind of mournfully a little bit at the camera. And I went, wow, you know, that, that really speaks to me. That was so cool. So I went in the store, uh, and I said, you know, just curious, uh, how much is that photo of Louis Armstrong? And the guy said, it's uh, 500 bucks. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> and I walked out, um, you know, cause that was at that time, uh, that was a ton of money, you know, especially for me, you know, being fairly young. Uh, I wasn't about to drop 500 bucks on a, on a picture, you know? Um, so I went home and I, uh, I, I must've, I must've told my girlfriend about it. Uh, and she said, Oh, next time you're there, you should, you should just get it. You know, she said, if, it, if, if you remembered it, it meant that much to you, you know, and really spoke to you, you should have it. And I kind of, Oh, okay. All right. You know, maybe I'll do that. So a few years later, I go back to New Orleans and I, um, I walk around to where I thought the store was and I, I can't find it, you know? Um, so I spend pretty much a couple of days, you know, in my free time walking up and down streets of the French quarter, looking for the store that I thought I kind of could picture in my head where it was. Um, and I, I don't find it. And so I go home and, that's it. Anyway, a few years later, I come back again. Now this is my hobby now when I'm in New Orleans <laughs> is to go try to look for this store to see if I can find this, this photograph. And, uh, I'm, I'm walking around again and I, you know, I'll poke into places and I'll look and I'll ask. And finally I go in this place and, and, and I, you know, I, I, I described this store. It had all these black and white photos of jazz musicians and, uh, and other musicians. And the guy says, oh, that sounds like a gallery. It's called a letter A gallery for fine photography. And I said, you know, he said, yeah, they moved about five years, six years ago. <laughs> They're over on such and such, which, you know, sort of on the edge of the French Quarter. So I go over there and um, I, I go up to the counter and I, the guy is there and I say, look, I tell him the story, you know, that I saw this thing. And he goes, yeah, I, I remember that photograph. You know, he said, I, I, I don't have any of those to sell anymore. And I, my head drops, you know, he goes, actually, you know what? I have two of them and I'll sell you one of them because of the story. Huh. And I say, really? He says, yeah. And he goes back and he pulls it out of the drawer. And I say, how much? And he says, 1200 bucks. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which was then just enough to make it like, I can't really do it, you know? Yeah. So I go back to the hotel and I ran into a friend of mine named Tony Khan, who was uh, another public radio guy um, from Boston. And, um, and I tell him the story and he loves the story. And he, he, he reaches into his pocket and he gets out a checkbook and he, he writes a check for a hundred dollars and he gives it to me and he says, I never got you guys a wedding present. So now it's 1100. You should go get it. <laughs> so I called my wife and she said, Oh, you should get it. So I got it. And I still have that photo. Um, you know, you could have sold it and then had two Bruce Springsteen tickets. <laughs> I, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. <laughs> um, uh, you said you had trombone, 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 I can't say the word trombone, trombone shorty on wait, wait, right? 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How is that decided? Like, do you get to go, you know, I really like this musician. Let's invite him on the show. Or how does that work in general terms? Uh, no, it it doesn't work where I, you know, I decide or anyone decides, but anybody can sort of suggest a guest. Uh, and then we talk about it as a group and, and sort of try to figure out if the person would be a good guest for us. Um, so, you know, I, I may very well have suggested it. I probably did. Um, but it was vetted by the group. Has it gotten increasingly easier over the years to get people to do the show? Um, yeah. So they were kind of running out of people sometimes it feels like, um, uh, it, it's, it's easier and it's, uh, in a way it's harder because every person in America has a podcast and Every person in America has been on someone else's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's not as novel. Um, but we still get plenty of people who are very excited to be on the show. You know, How far out do you book the, the celebrity guests? Uh, it, it really varies. Um, you know, there are times when we book, we book someone who's a couple of months out because it's, you know, the date that works for everybody. And there are times when, you know, we have struck out the week before when we go on in a Monday and we don't know who the guest is going to be. You know? I know that world very well in my daily talk show radio world. Um, yep. So my question then is, so this is going to air on October 2nd. Do you know who the guest is going to be that day? And if so, can you divulge that? Uh, I cannot divulge it because I don't know who the guest is. Okay. We, we may know, the staff may know, but I just don't happen to know. I don't, uh, I don't, I haven't looked. No worries. Um, yeah. Do you listen to your radio in the car? Um, like, like FM transmitted radio? Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, mostly not, I would say. Um, I usually spend time in the car listening to uh, podcasts, uh, NPR One uh, for news, uh, and music. Uh, it kind of depends on where I'm at. Um, do you listen to wait, wait as a listener in the wild? Uh, I listen to it by podcast. Huh. Um, it, it allow, I'm usually not ready to listen to it on Saturday morning when KQED runs it. Um, because I've been so immersed in it, um, and spent so much time with all of the material so intensely for the week I can that I need, I that. needed, yeah, <laughs> that I need a day or two to just like get away from it and forget mm-hmm. it. And then I go back and I listen and I listen because on Monday we always talk about the show and like, what did we like? What can we do better? You know? So you have to do your homework before Monday. I have to do my homework. Yeah. Um, you guys record on Thursdays like today? Thursday night. Yep. Thursday night. So you're going to, mm-hmm. you're doing this and then you're going to go record. Uh, we are recording, uh, as we record this, it's probably about half an hour from now I'll be recording. Oh, well, that's just very interesting for us listeners out here. Um, you said you don't sing. Have you ever done karaoke? I don't think I have. Hmm. Yeah. Not publicly. Not publicly. Not a shower karaoke, maybe. This is a question that I'm going to let you say no to because you've already admitted that you don't (laughs) sing. But we generally ask our guests if they have any TV theme songs committed to memory that they would sing with us. And, you know, we can even let you off easy if you're a whistler. We can maybe do like Andy Griffith or something. Let me think about it. Uh, TV theme songs. What comes to mind? So now I've got trombone shorty stuck in my head. So there's not room for anything else. Um, how about 
woke up this morning, got myself a gun. Oh, that's 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 the wire. Sopranos. No, oh, the Sopranos. Sopranos. Sorry, sorry. Wrong they all blur. Show. They all blur together. In my <laughs> head. Mike went through a gangster TV show uh, sprint and just watched like all of the. I spent four. That's what, that's my new watching technique. Is I just binge on something like a genre endlessly. Like I'm into. I'm I'm on my 19th straight season of Star Trek right now. <laughs> so Doug, is it yes or no? You want to. I did. No, you missed it. <laughs> was that the whole thing? Okay, that, that was it. it. Okay, I'll that take it. it. I'll take it. <laughs> you did great. We'll put a little bit of music we'll put a behind little it bit there. for the final yeah. product. Um, <laughs> if you had to guess, which song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life? The song I've listened to the most times in my life. Well, well, I go through binges. You know, like I'll find a song that I really love, and I'll kind of play it over and over and over for a while um or an album that i just really love so i don't i don't know i don't have a uh a, a, a lifetime to date count um what would be in the ballpark like what have you just musically spent most time with Well, trombone shorty is up there. I hate to, no, I hate to beat, a, I hate yeah, to beat gonna, a New Orleans horse here, but I um, <laughs> we're not going to audit you know, it. So whichever yeah, one comes I, to mind, I, I, I'd say in the last ten years, I've spent a lot of time listening. To, I've spent a lot of time listening to Robert Earl Keane. I was in, had a a period where I was really into his, um, you know, uh, Austin singer songwriter mode, and he's a great great storyteller. I uh, had a great band with him. Good musician. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time with David Grisman um, when I was younger. I spent a lot of time with uh, King Sonny Ade, who's a Nigerian guy, and a lot of African music, a ton of stuff that isn't, uh, you know, published recording, but is recordings that I've either made or, um, you know, acquired from people of, uh, you know, Ghanaian music. Um, I lately... Here's an answer for you. Can I start over? <laughs> yeah. Or somewhere in there? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what my year to, my, my lifetime to date count is because I, I go through these binges, you know, where I will get really into a song and, 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 and listen to it a lot. Um, I can tell you the most recent one that I've, that I've been playing a lot, uh, which is Alan Toussaint's version of American Tune. Um, I don't know if you can grab that, um, but it's it's the song that Paul Simon wrote, which is a nice connection for me. Um, back I don't know when, must have been early seventies, uh, and Alan Toussaint, the New Orleans piano player, uh, does a version of it, and it's just absolutely beautiful. What's his name? Alan Toussaint. Kind of sounds like uh, Cat Stevens a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. You don't okay. tell him that either. <laughs> All right. Um, are there any kinds of music or, or songs in particular that you'll avoid listening to besides the Fever Dream Beach Boys? Um, I don't know if there's, I, you know, I'm, I, I feel like when you're into something, you have a lot of tolerance for it. You know, like if I was into Broadway musicals, I would go down the street and watch a community theater version of a Broadway musical 
but me, I would never do that because I have no tolerance for it, you know? Yeah. Whereas like with music, I am so interested in it that I will listen out of interest, you know, even if, even if it doesn't move me, um, even if it doesn't hit me on a, a kind of gut level or emotional level, um, I, I'm curious about it. So I don't know that there's a lot of music I, I, I don't listen to. I'm not a big fan of stuff that I find kind of sappy. Uh, and I don't, I don't know exactly how to define that. Um, I'm not a fan of Broadway musicals as we've established. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty wide open, you know? Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which song would you choose? <laughs> you keep asking me sort of the same question, like, what's your favorite song? Or oh, something? no, no, this isn't like, your favorite song. This is, you know, you're, you like, get to reach into the psyches of all humans. How would you like to play it? Um, well, at the moment, I'm going to go with... Uh, my man trombone shorty and uh, the Laveau dirge number one and ain't no use the, the the two cuts that start off parking lot symphony because um, I think that's a beautiful composition that starts uh, with a kind of mournful uh, dirge and turns into an upbeat uh, tune and then uh, kind of revives revives the the dirge themes again. Uh, toward the end, I think it's really nice. Do you still listen to albums, either on CD or do you have records or anything like that, or is it um, all? I'll listen meal? to I'll listen to albums sometimes on um, Spotify, uh, and sometimes on iTunes. Um, I don't I don't uh, currently own a turntable, although I still own albums. You know, uh, kids these days uh, on saving Spotify, them for my old age, <laughs> saving them for your old age. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Spotify regular users, as I understand it, it tracks what you're listening to. So that question of what you've listened to the most times in your life may be right. actually relevant to like, on. kids these days. I got, I got it here. Hang on. There we how go. Do I, how do I find it? Ah, uh, I don't Ooh, know. You asked the wrong settings. pair of guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving that uh, information sort of. I'm looking. I've seen people post screenshots of how many songs. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I don't see where you can, uh, data saver. What's that? <laughs> that, uh, no, downloads uh, the, the lesser versions of the, I think I, I think I just ordered a dishwasher. <laughs> uh, Hey Doug, um, uh, you know, if, if I can uh, pitch an episode of our show to you to listen to, since you listen to podcasts in your car, um, yep. epi- episode 101 is with a lady named Nancy Stetson and mm-hmm. one of her songs is, um, by a Zydeco band. Um, and mm-hmm. it's called, uh, get it Bojack. And I think uh-huh. it might be. Might be up your alley. So get a she, Bojack like uh, Bojack Horseman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's well, gonna be my new favorite thing. Um, uh, B E A U, J O C Q U E Bojack. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, she we talked about uh, New Orleans music for quite a while, and so I thought I think you might be into that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, what would your fourteen-year-old self think of who you are today? I think he'd be relieved. Um. <laughs> I, I I imagine that's probably true of a lot of four, of people thinking about their fourteen year old selves. Fourteen was a very awkward age, you know. Um, you're trying to fit in. You're you know you're worried if you're normal and you know not sure how your life's going to unfold. And you know you're still sort of under the thumb of your parents and and all kinds of stuff. So uh, I'm imagining at that age, um, you know, I'd be very relieved to know that I was able to do something that I really enjoy doing. Um, 
and have, you know, sort of the freedom to do it and the creative freedom to do it. Um, and, you know, I, I think it would have been beyond my wildest hopes that I would have, you know, had an, an impact um, on a lot of people with that work. Would your 14-year-old self be bummed you weren't on the back of a garbage truck? I think he'd understand. <laughs> I think I'll have a talk with him and um, be all right. Okay. Um, before we have you recommend three people, we're going to play just one. It's my favorite piece of sound from, from Wait, Wait, and I just want to throw it out there so listeners can share it with us. Here's what a less charitable person might think of as Carl's sound effects Waterloo. Phew. 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 Carl, repeat after me. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, don't you know Ray? Pew, 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 pew. The universal ray gun. Pew, 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 pew. That's closer. I just want to say that my ray gun noise wasn't bad. It's that the actual ray guns aren't good. <laughs> and I also brought that up just so we can talk just briefly about Carl Castle before we say goodbye well, to Carl, you. Carl was funny. Um, you know, he had a, a dry, funny sense of humor. And, you know, when I, when I was developing Wait, Wait, um, you know, I was trying, I had in mind very sort of generally this show I used to watch and repeat when I was a kid called You Bet Your Life, which is with Groucho Marx. It was a quiz show. And Groucho had kind of a side man named George Fenneman, who was kind of played the straight man. Um, and so I kind of had this idea of, of casting someone like that. And then, uh, I, I went to an event that, that Carl was at Carl, they were celebrating morning editions, uh, anniversary. I can't remember what it was or something like that. And Carl was taking questions and, uh, someone said, Carl, you know, what time do you get up in the morning? Cause he was on, you know, he was on the air at 5am or 6am. Uh, and Carl said, I get up at, uh, five minutes after one in the morning and there was a silence and he just stood there and someone said, why, why five after one? And he said, one o'clock is just too damn early. (laughs) (laughs) And he, you know, he knew to wait for it uh, that somebody would ask. Um, and, and that's when I knew he was the man, you know, he could do it. I got to interview him once uh, years ago when he when he left doing mornings when he was just going to do you guys for, for from then on, and I mm-hmm. tried to get him to give me a freebie you know voice on him, my answering machine, and he said, mm-hmm. "Mike, I've been told I'm not allowed to do that." So now I didn't think I'd ever get to confirm. Was Carl told not allowed not to do that, or was that just his discretion? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, I just I, I suddenly thought of a name I want to give you guys, so I got distracted and started writing it down. Can no, you ask that question again? Fine. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, I got to interview Carl back when he left, uh, you know, doing the news reads in the morning, and I asked him while I had him on the on the phone if he could give me a free uh, message for my voicemail, like mm-hmm. the prize in wait, wait, and he said, Mike, I've been told I'm not allowed to do that. Oh, and no. I'm trying to confirm whether he was just, you know telling the truth or not. <laughs> I, I think he was joking with you. <laughs> so I put it, should have pressed him on it, in other words. Yeah, Carl could do anything he wants. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, well then it is now time. And there's, there's, a, there's a, I think there are regulations against giving away uh, things of certain value, but since we know that our prize has no value whatsoever, <laughs> they don't apply. And nowadays it's um, anybody from the panel or the show will do it, right? Yeah, anybody you want on the show. Hmm. 
Okay, well, now it is time for you to recommend your three people the, that you'll share this with and who you think we might be able to get. All right. Um, uh, this is a tough one. Um, I The first person that comes to mind um, is Hutch Hutchinson. Hutch is the bass player for the Bonnie Raitt Band. Um, and uh, he knows everybody in the music industry. And, and now that I know that your show is really a music show, <laughs> um, I think he'd be a really interesting interview. Okay. Um, that would be fantastic. So would, we can try at him. least get a, a yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to suggest a guy that I haven't been in touch with in ages, um, but uh, I think you ought to try to find. Um, and that's a guy named Earl Bailey. He was my first uh, production mentor in radio. Yeah, he's uh, on Sirius. He, he's on Sirius. He's a guy. Uh, he he he's what what people call a rock jock, uh, and he was you know he was the classic rock and roll uh, air personality, and um, you know he did it at some of the big stations: WNEW in New York, uh, WMMR in Philadelphia, um, and he's. He's just been doing it for so long. I'd be I'd be really curious what his three songs were and what stories he had around that. You know, cool. I think he'd be really interesting to talk to. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to decide. Um, I mean, one idea that came up, but I don't know if if he's he's probably too busy to do it. Uh, is a guy named Pete Doctor, um, who's uh, I guess he's running Pixar now. He was a director. For a number of those films, yeah. chief creative officer. Of yes, Pixar. and he's he's a delightful guy and an interesting guy, and had an interesting life. And I think he would be interesting, but I think he might be a little bit busy, <laughs> um, and I I don't want to uh, impose uh, on him or on you to try to track him down to do that. Understood. Um, we appreciate the offer. So I'm going to recommend a guy named Ray Maliazzi. Uh, who hosts a show called Car Talk. I've heard of him. (laughs) um, Because, you know, we talked about him and his connection to music, uh, and he's a wonderful storyteller, and I think you might enjoy talking to him too. So those are my three. Um, Do you think he'd do it? I mean, that that would be like the coolest thing ever. We can ask him. Okay, well, let's ask let's him. Let's do. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Doug, for doing this, especially not having listened to what it is we do. That was like, we were really excited. <laughs> we're like, wow, Doug Berman's going to do this just based on the description. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm happy to help. I mean, um, we were all, you know, trying to figure our way out and, you know, work on our ideas and, and, and do things that, you know, interest and entertain people. And I commend you guys for doing it. I love I love the hook, um, you know, the three songs, and um, it was it was really fun talking to you. You asked me some questions I absolutely could not answer. Um, I still don't know what my drink would be. Um, it's called but, the Dougie. Yeah, but it, <laughs> I'm gonna make it, one at home and see how yeah, good it is. <laughs> but it was yeah. No, don't do that. It sounds terrible. Um, but uh, but you know, it, it it was fun to do this, and I I sincerely wish you you know the absolute best of luck and i i hope you have a a delightful time and people really have fun listening well thank you so much we can't um say enough 
We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. And now that she's out of a job, the new head of our working mother support group is Erasmus B. Dragon. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. This week's parting tune, we're breaking the rules just a bit. Instead of a tune, we're going with the bit from Bluff the Listener panelist Maeve Higgins that I mentioned earlier. This is from their broadcast on January 18th, 2020. The famous Diego is about to retire. We're talking here about Diego the giant tortoise from the Galapagos, one of 15 tortoises in a captive breeding program meant to revive the species on the island of Santa Cruz. There's a lot of confusion about the differences between turtles and tortoises, so here's an easy way to tell them apart. (laughs) Turtles live in New York City sewers, and (laughs) they speak English, and they also do karate quite well. (laughs) Tortoises, on the other hand, live above the ground, and they're extremely sensual. (laughs) Diego... Diego is over 100 years old and the job he's retiring from is having sex. So much sex that he's credited with helping save his species from extinction. When the program began 55 years ago, there were only 14 tortoises left, 12 females and 2 males. Imagine if they had been lesbians. (laughs) Then Diego joined the conservation program from his home in San Diego and got busy. So... Before I ask Jeff uh, which one he wants, tortoise? <laughs> it's the English. Is that how uh-huh. the Irish say the word tortoise? Oh, yeah, it, it, now that I think of it, I don't think I've ever heard it out loud. Like, I just saw them. <laughs> They're such quiet creatures, they, they would never correct you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Like Bowser shooting lasers at you and cats are trying to rip your (laughs) face off.